0: I am Planta on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia, at thecommentary.ca. One of the more interesting figures in the history of British Columbia comes alive in a recent book by Greg N. Fraser, who joins me now. Mr. Fraser, a longtime educator, has written Joseph William McKay, a Métis business leader in colonial British Columbia, a biography of a remarkable figure whose lifespan, 1829 to 1900, affords him the chance to get a front-row seat to the exploration and development of what would become this province. McKay, at age 15, commences a career with the Hudson's Bay Company and eventually meets and works with James Douglas, who would become his mentor. At the age of 23, he oversees the building of Nanaimo. In the gold rush years, he is dispatched to Fort Kamloops and Fort Yale. He eventually becomes chief factor, the highest rank within the uh, HBC. McKay has a unique life as, uh, within the context of the colonial system, he manages through personal skill and success, to move through the company and maintain good relations. He advocates on behalf of Indigenous peoples and later becomes federal agent for the uh, federal government. McKay is not without his complexities, especially in light of a 21st century context, but it's uh, a notable life nonetheless. I'll ask Greg about why McKay is somebody uh, we should uh, know about, and I'll also get him to tell us what it was like to write this book. Greg Fraser taught Canadian bc and indigenous history in the vernon and nanaimo school districts he continued his career teaching at uh, okanagan university college and vancouver island university elder college this uh, book is published by heritage house he joined me from nanaimo earlier this week please uh, welcome to the plant online program uh, greg fraser mr fraser good morning
1: good morning good morning joseph
0: Thanks for joining us. As I was telling you just before we started uh, how much I enjoyed the book, it's, it's a, a story that is um, it's just fascinating to read because it, it has so many, um, his life I should say, has so many intersections with, with the history of this, this place, British Columbia. Um, you know, you, one wonders where to start. I guess we'll just start at the beginning. Um, for um, uh, Joseph William McKay, what, what sort of upbringing was it like for him?
1: Well, he, uh, both his parents were, were Métis uh, on both sides, uh-huh. and uh, he was born in Quebec, where his father ran a small post for the Hudson's Bay Company. Um, both, his family had strong connections with the Hudson's Bay Company. Uh then he went to school at age 10 in Manitoba at uh, the Red River Academy, which was uh, a school for Hudson's Bay Company, uh, children of Hudson's Bay Company employees. And that was his, it gave him a good basic formal education. Uh And then he was 15. That's when he joined the uh, uh, Hudson's Bay Company himself and was sent out to Fort Vancouver, way out in the West. It
0: it seems like um, having this strong connection with with the HBC, that um, life uh, or or his working life would have been, um, you say, it would have been inevitable that he would have been working for them. But, But as you write in the book, he was supposed to have gone to school overseas, is that right?
1: That's right, to, to Scotland. That was a family tradition, but apparently mm-hmm. he missed the boat. I see. So then he just joined the, the company at that time, and away he went off to the West.
0: You mentioned a moment ago that 15 was when he began working uh, for them. Uh, was that a typical age or if someone, say, getting into the company, into the into the firm, say?
1: It would be about right, 15 or 16. If you look through some of the records of of Hudson's Bay Company officials, uh, 15, 16, yeah, it would be about right.
0: I see. And um, so he ends up out here on the West Coast. What kind of work does he start out doing?
1: Well, he uh, arrived at Fort Vancouver and met uh, the man who was going to be his mentor, James Douglas, Uh uh, later Sir James Douglas. And... uh, Douglas sent him on a on a tour with two British naval officers who were trying to figure out where the final boundary would be between British and American territory, and he did such a good job of, of uh, doing all getting all the supplies for them, the horses, the guides, and everything uh, that he really impressed Douglas. And for, for the rest of his career, Douglas was his uh, was his mentor.
0: And and so, uh, how did Douglas feel about him?
1: Uh, well, he had. Pretty strong feelings about it. First of all, he had some connections uh, personally. Um, Douglas was married to a Métis woman, mm. uh, Amelia Callan Connolly Douglas, right. and Douglas himself was part Black. So there were, you know, connections with the, uh, with the uh, um, different groups, which later on became important. And uh, uh, also, of course, Douglas recognized his abilities right away. He had a good ability with languages. McKay, he could speak English and French uh, perfectly. He could speak the uh, Chinook, the fur trade language, and when he was posted to Fort Victoria, he learned some of the local, like the Saanich language, for example.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that, that that's um, uh, impressive about him, even at a young age, is that the, the, the abilities that he has, the skill that he has, um, uh, in doing the work that needs to be done for for, for, for whatever task he's up to. Um, that, that's one of the fascinating parts about him, and, and um, that, that, that sort of endeavor that, that he has, that, that, that um, sort of drive that he has, that, that's throughout his life, isn't it?
1: Yes, that's correct. And especially uh, no, noted when he was given charge of uh, Nanaimo mm-hmm. uh, to establish the coal mine, uh, get them going. He had to do everything from... Uh, a to Z. It just was everything he had to have to, to to do to, to set up the, the coal mines, to set up the, the houses for the miners, to get a proper wharf and dock for the boats to come in and pick up the coal, uh, all that sort of thing. Plus, deal with the local Senufo people, um, uh-huh. whom, he, whom he got to work for him uh, through his his diplomatic skills, yeah. and uh, they were well paid for their work. They they bargained a pretty hard bargain with him. But uh, he did have a workforce there that could do the, um, you know, gathering the coal, and then the miners came from Britain and uh, uh, really got the coal mines going, the underground mine.
0: How did coal. he know? How did he know, Greg, that there was coal there?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting story. Uh, a fellow who was known as Coal Taii or the Coal Chief came down from the to Fort Victoria to have his gun repaired, and uh, when he was watching the blacksmith working, he said, "You know, there's a lot of that black rock up where I live." And so the blacksmith went and got McKay, uh, and McKay had a, an interview with the guy and found out that, yeah, okay. So he offered him, he said, I'll, I'll repair your gun for free, and we'll give you a bottle of rum if you'll bring some samples of the coal back to us. And the man did. He, uh, the next year he brought back uh, a canoe load of coal, and as a result McKay was sent up there, and they very quickly discovered a, a seam of coal, a good seam of coal.
0: And and that's the the beginning, I guess, of the establishing of, of Nanaimo, which is one of, of McKay's uh, great achievements, isn't it?
1: That is his greatest greatest achievement, yeah. and uh, uh, the basting, of course, still stands here in Nanaimo, and he was responsible for the building of that in uh, in Nanaimo for protection.
0: I went. I I ended up in Nanaimo. I collect political buttons, and I ended up in Nanaimo one. Uh, this is before COVID, uh, flying in, and seeing right. that was that always there the the bastion uh, in, in the in the harbor there if you will
1: it's uh was built in 1853 um by McKay and a couple of French Canadian men and some Iroquois um, employees of the, uh, the Bay company uh-huh. so it's been there since 1853 uh it's been moved a couple of times but it's now about 60 feet from where it originally um, stood
0: oh I see okay yeah um and uh, was Nanaimo also a place where, where they could get salt too
1: Yes, uh, he discovered a, a salt spring, uh-huh. and of course, salt was good for preserving the food, right. which uh, which they would trade salmon and deer uh, with the local Sudanese people.
0: Yeah, um, you know what, what? might surprise people um, is is that here we have a story of someone who who is is Métis, who who works for and advances in the in the white colonial system. Um, You've sort of alluded to already how he was able to do it. His great di- diplomatic skill, of course, is, is uh, his uh, ability to speak these various languages. Um, was his story common of the era?
1: Not really. Um, Métis uh, employees of the Hudson's Bay Company, there were a lot of them, but they generally didn't rise above the rank of, of postmaster um, in, in the company. Uh, To go all the way, as he did, to a chief factor, which is like being on the board of governors of the Canadian branch of the company, um, it was just very unusual. I think there's two or three others in the whole history of the Hudson's Bay Company, going back to 1670, that actually achieved what he did.
0: Yeah, you you reflect near the end of the book um, as to to McKay's career and, and wonder... What might have been had he lived or, uh, and worked in another part of the country, say central Canada, for example, um, it would have been quite right. Very different, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, you're quite right. Um, if he if he had been posted to the prairies, for example, he probably never would have gotten half halfway up the, up the ladder. Yeah.
0: It, it does speak to the uniqueness of of, of where, where we are as, uh, on the west coast, doesn't it?
1: Yes, definitely because. If you think about it, you, you think of Louis David Riel and, and the Métis and the prairies. They've right. got their buffalo hunts. They've yeah. got their uh, Red River carts. Out here it was 64-foot uh, uh, First Nations canoes, Haida canoes, and uh, uh, a whole different, and the climate, of course, is, is totally different out here yeah. most um, of the time. <laughs> yeah,
0: indeed, yeah. Yeah. Um, he even even while he was with with the Hudson's Bay Company, he um, goes into politics. I guess because Douglas was 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 part of that, um, he just sort of fell into that, didn't he?
1: Yes, uh, Douglas uh, had to establish an assembly, which he really didn't want to do. He felt he could run the whole show himself. Right. Uh, <laughs> but he he had to do it, and it was there were seven members of the assembly representing Greater Victoria, Souka, and Nanaimo was the only other one, and uh, he wanted to have a majority, Douglas did, of, of Hudson's Bay Company people in the assembly, which means he'd have to have four. Well, he had three, and then McKay uh, was uh, the the fourth. And uh, the Hudson's Bay Company actually helped McKay by giving him a, uh, a uh, I shouldn't say give, they he ultimately paid for it, uh-huh. but uh, 300 acres, which is now UVic
0: uh-huh.
1: in Victoria. And uh, that was the property qualification, and McKay was able to run and ultimately successfully uh, Become a member of the assembly.
0: It's a fascinating um, sort of journey, if you will, or an episode in, in McKay's life to, to get elected because he wasn't first elected, was he? he had to go That's through. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, e. E. Langford was first elected, uh, but he didn't have, apparently have the property qualification of the 300 acres. And the person who helped McKay with that was Joseph Pemberton, the colonial surveyor. And he told McKay, he said, this guy doesn't have 300 acres. And he would know, of course, because he surveyed everything.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, so McKay protested, and uh, uh, turned out he was right. And so, they had another election, and McKay won that one.
0: You do a marvelous job in, in that part of the book telling us sort of the context. Of, because we have we have an idea of what elections are like now, uh, where nearly everyone can vote. But in those days, it was very limited, wasn't it? I mean, you're talking about yeah. seven members. Um, the, the population that could vote at that point was, I mean, you, you, you have a, a chart there with the numbers, in, a couple charts in the book, where, where um, or tables, I should say, where, where you talk about the numbers in the colony itself.
1: Right, yeah. Well, uh, before the gold rush, uh, Fort Victoria and the surrounding area only had 450 Europeans mm. uh, in that area. And uh, of course, when the gold rush came, everything changed. Over thirty thousand people went through Victoria in, in one spring and summer.
0: Yeah, which is fascinating. We, we we go into the part of his life when when he leaves um, uh, the island and goes um, into the interior, of Fort Kamloops. For I guess was Fort Kamloops the first posting, and then Yale.
1: Yes, it was. Yes. Yeah, yes, Fort so, Kamloops, and then Yale. You're quite correct.
0: And then so he he goes there for the HBC for the uh, Hudson's Bay Company. And right. um, this is all during the gold rush, right?
1: Oh yes, yeah, yeah. He he started out. The first thing he did for Douglas in eighteen fifty eight is that uh, Douglas wanted to find a quicker route to the gold fields. and uh, he sent McKay on a on a mission to explore. And he went from Littlewood all using House Sound all the way down to House Sound, uh-huh. and the route was practical, but they didn't use it because it was going to be too expensive to uh, get it set up. So they they stayed with their old route until the Caribou Road was built. I see. Yeah.
0: What was it about his skill and his ability at, at this point in terms of, of, because now we're dealing with bigger numbers of people that he has to sort
1: of marshal and manage. Um, That's a, I'm glad you raised that point. Amor um, de Cosmos, who was the editor of the Victoria or the British Colonist at that time, uh-huh. now the Victorian Times colonists, yeah. um, he hated anybody associated with the Hudson's Bay Company, except he liked McKay. And when McKay left um, Victoria, he just gotten married to Helen Holmes, uh, who was an English lady, uh-huh. and uh, the, the two of them were leaving to go to Fort Camas. Uh, De Cosmos wrote up a very nice editorial, saying that as far as he was concerned, McKay was the only one who could, could uh, was a friend to the newcomers, the people who came in in the Gold Rush time, and McKay could get along pretty well with anybody, and he he certainly did that, and so De Cosmos wished him well. Mm. It was astounding. Yeah. He didn't like the Hudson's Bay Company. There's no question about that.
0: Right. And, and so what sort of so he's in charge, I guess at at Kamloops and Yale too oh, yes. is that right? yeah yes, yes and and his family was with him the whole time
1: no that and again, that's a good point. Uh, when he went to Kamloops, his family didn't uh, stay with him. they stayed in victoria, and i I've, I've read a letter in in the BC archives in Victoria uh, where he's protesting to the Hudson's Bay Company about how much it was costing him to keep his family in Victoria. Mm. so when he went to Yale, they actually did come with him. Uh, at that point, and he wanted compensation from the Hudson's Bay Company, which I don't think he ever got it. But I, I, I do. There is a letter in the archives where he's talking about that.
0: Yeah, I guess that also speaks to to how close he was to his family, doesn't it?
1: Oh yes, very close. Yes. Yeah. Four daughters and two two sons. Yeah.
0: What um, his association with with the Hudson's Bay Company that comes to an end? Um, you, you talk about that in the book in terms of of um, what really happened, or trying to figure out what
1: happened, right? Right, yeah. He had a lot of outside interests. Um, Oh, uh, uh, iron mines, uh, silver mines, coal mines in in, uh, Courtney, and all—all just a whole pile of different interests that were taking too much time away from the Hudson's Bay Company. So in 1878, they basically, I think it was, they probably had a gentleman's agreement to say, look, McKay, you're spending too much time on other things. Maybe it's time for you to, to leave, to retire, to go... And he did. He left,
0: and uh, then, of course, he becomes a federal Indian agent. So that, that's that's. Uh, I'm trying to do the math here. 78. He was born in 29. Yeah. That's um. That that's a uh, that's 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 almost 40 years that he was with with the Hudson's Bay Company, right?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and then you mentioned be- becoming a federal agent. He was there uh, about 10 years. Is that right?
1: Yeah, he was an uh, Indian agent 1883 to so about 1893, and then he was appointed uh, assistant uh, to a man named Vowell, uh-huh. uh, Arthur Wesley Vowell, who was the, uh, the representative of the federal government based in Victoria and responsible for Indian affairs in British Columbia. So he was assistant uh, commissioner of Indian affairs in British Columbia. That was his last job. I see.
0: The, the, the role of federal agent, we, we hear that in, in, uh, throughout history. Would you remind us, Greg, in terms of what, what that entails and what, what McKay would have been doing at that point?
1: Right. He was responsible for the... He was based in Kamloops, back to Kamloops, uh-huh. uh, but he was responsible for the whole Thompson-Okanagan region uh, for all of the First Nations in those areas. Uh, and he stood up for the First Nations' rights against the CPR when they were trying to steal their land and McCabe stood up for them. He also vaccinated, personally, 1,300 indigenous persons uh, while he was an Indian agent. Uh, And he's quoted. uh, I I found three references to him quoted in in, uh, modern land claims, Mm -hmm. land claims today. And I didn't say too much about it in the book, because some of those land claims are still up before the the courts. uh, But but he he is quoted for some of the things that he, he did for First Nations people.
0: Again, that speaks to his his, his ability to to say uh, move through these these various groups and and um, uh, communicate with them and and um, just his his relations with First Nations groups they were friendly weren't they even though the role has sort of you know in, we've read about other people in that role um, obviously the residential school system um, it's not, not terribly uh, a popular uh, role in society
1: is it. No, that's for sure. Now, McKay, it's in the book. He, he was at the industrial school when it was established in Kamloops. Mm-hmm. That, in 1923, long after McKay is gone, dead and gone, that becomes the uh, residential school in, uh, in Kamloops, uh, the one where they found all the right. uh, marked graves. Mm-hmm. Um, but McKay didn't have any part of that because the industrial school, the big difference between industrial schools and residential schools is there was no compulsory attendance. Nobody was going to come and grab your children and take them you know, away to school. Mm-hmm. If you didn't want your children in this school or if you enrolled them and then didn't like it, you just took them out. Yeah. And uh, some, of, some of the First Nations people thought for what it was, that it was going to be taking away their culture and their language. So um, they did do that. Um, so it was later on when all the, the horrible stuff happened. Right.
0: It's such a fascinating um, life story, Greg. Um, when did you get the idea that you wanted to, to take this, this life and, and make it, say, a full-length book?
1: Yeah, I, I was doing a research for an article on a guy named Charles Frederick Houghton who started in the Okanagan near Vernon with a ranch mm-hmm. and ended up marrying one of the Dunsmere girls, the Colbaron Dunsmere right. in uh, Nanaimo. Uh-huh. And because he was in Nanaimo, uh, I had to research him. And sure enough, this name McKay, Joseph McKay, kept popping up in my research. I'd never had any idea who he was before then. So then I started looking into him and then got fascinated, uh, as you mentioned, just got fascinated with uh, his background and how he managed to rise up.
0: And then in terms of your research, you mentioned letters in the archives and the sort. Um, his journals are there too, is that right?
1: Yes, uh, all of his personal papers. His daughter, uh, um, Agnes McKay, uh, I think about 1935, walked into the archives with a great big box full of all of his personal papers and, and things like that. Uh, diaries and everything that he that he had, and the file that I was working with has 22 separate files in it, um, and, and it covers everything from his Hudson's Bay career to his career as an Indian agent. Uh, he also ran a salmon cannery for two years, so that's in there too. Where where was that? That was on the northwest coast, up about uh, um, close to close to Prince Rupert, that area. I in see. The northwest.
0: Yeah, and um, it, it must be an invaluable resource. I mean, to have all this stuff uh, as a biographer.
1: Oh yes, it's it's uh, it's it's really really good. And, and the way I did it, I, I started off getting what I could from the internet mm-hmm. and from the local libraries, uh, especially the Vancouver Island University Library and the regional library. And then I went to the archives for his original documents. And when you already know something about the person, yeah. then when you're reading these documents, the names and that mean a lot a lot more to you.
0: It, it sounds like as, there are parts of the book where I'm reading and and. Um... Uh, I get the sense that you're having fun while you're doing this, are you?
1: Oh, yes, I really enjoy it. Uh, enjoyed. I taught history for 33 years, so I'm, I'm pretty interested in, in any facet, and especially the people part of history.
0: Well, why do you think, Greg, the, the um, this person in particular, uh, Joseph William McKay, why do you think we should remember him and, and, and study him, you know, Years and years later and into the future. I mean, I'm sure people will be picking up this book years from now. Um, there's something instructive about him, isn't there?
1: Yes, he had an ability to get along with almost anyone. Uh, I came across very few negative comments about McKay in my research. He was, he just was a, a, an affable person, and it didn't matter whether you were a local First Nations elder or you were a, a, a uh, white gold miner coming up from California. He had the ability to get along
0: with people. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, just a, just a, an important thing for us to reflect upon um, nowadays. The, the, the book also has great stories. I mean, you you, you talked about the one finding coal, um, the, the story about managing drunkenness as he did in the NIMMO. Oh, yeah. I thought that was uh, that, that sort of chuckled there as I was
1: reading yeah. the book. Especially when when the the part where the HBC's own doctor was selling it from his own <laughs> the fact he, the fact McKinney, he recorded that in his daily journal which he kept a, a daily journal in the Naimel and uh, he was quite surprised at that.
0: By the way, the, these diaries, these journals that 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 one would keep at that time, would that be in their own hand, or would they have say a stenographer do that?
1: Um, generally, in those days, it was in their own hand. Uh, in fact, here in the Nymol, uh, every Hudson's Bay Company post in the country had uh, a journal. They kept a post journal of everything that was happening, what the, what the workers were doing, who was coming and who was going, and that sort of thing. And uh, the lady that transcribed McKay's journal from the NIMO noticed the change in handwriting when he left and another gen- gentleman took over. And mm. she said, "Oh yes, yeah, I can tell right now. That the handwriting is different in the, in the, in that respect."
0: And so you mentioned having to have a translator. Does that mean the the, the, um, the penmanship? The
1: transcriber. Oh, transcriber I see. Tra- from Transcriber. From the, to, to, yeah, to, okay. yeah, handwriting.
0: What is it like to read the the actual handwriting itself? I mean, people don't write like that nowadays, do they? The penmanship. No, style. they do yeah. um,
1: McKay's handwriting was actually pretty good, uh, very very easy to read and and quite uh, quite well done. Um, some of the others, uh, no, <laughs> it's yeah. hard. It's hard to read, but it takes you a while.
0: And so what is it like for you as a historian to see something? I mean, is, is there a lot of, say, second-guessing as to what's actually written sometimes?
1: Sometimes you have to. Uh, yeah, there, there would be times where you can't transcribe a word or, or a phrase or something like that, and you have to kind of just sort of put the words in in, in your own mind.
0: yeah. Uh, Greg, it's such, such a fascinating book and, and an important one in, in the history of this, this project. You've done a marvelous service in terms of, of, of putting this together and, and and writing it as as, as uh, engagingly as you have. I so appreciate your time today. Congratulations again on the book and, and continued good luck with it.
1: Well, thank you very much, and, and best wishes to you as well.
0: The book is called Joseph William McKay, a Métis Business Leader in Colonial British Columbia. It's uh, published by Heritage House. It's author Greg Fraser. Join me on the line from Nanaimo. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Planta.